0: Hit mix one hundred seven point five FM. The power station. The power station with Colin Curtis.
1: survive. Don't forget on Monday, if you're around in Stoke-on-Trent, uh, the new Victoria Theatre, I'll be there with the Soul Syndicate, and of course the singers of. I mean, two of the singers off the proms are going to be appearing there. Completely sold out, but if you are coming along, then say hello on the night. I'll be there uh, to introduce the acts, and uh, we're hopefully going to have a fantastic night. The following Monday, I'll be in Buxton Opera House with them, and uh, this is a show you don't want to miss as well. Again, for anybody listening in that area, of course, uh, Buxton, that is sold out as well. There is a cancellation list if you want to have a look on that, and uh, you can do so. But tonight... It's about my special guest, Mr. Steve Glover, who's come up from the West Midlands and um, going through, in the same way that we do on the Soul Series, four hours of music. Uh, all, all will be provided by Steve and uh, some of the stories behind that. So, good evening to you, sir. Hello, Colin, and uh, thanks for uh, inviting me along. No, it's an absolute pleasure, mate. I mean, it, been an integral part of the scene, integral part of, of what was going on in the Midlands. I mean, the, you, as I said off air at the start, first time real memories of you in in the record shop in the Oasis and uh, uh, providing people with a huge amount of soul music and a huge amount of British soul music back then so how did you get into it in the first place how did you get into soul music, what were you listening to well I first started uh, when when, I was a teenager
2: joining the the local record library and I used to pull out stuff for the the blues stuff uh, mainly John Lee Hooker and stuff like that um, and then when I progressed, uh, yeah, yeah, that that was mainly it. I've got one, other, other, one or two other things I was interested in. Folk music was quite you know, quite. So would it, be,
1: would it be John Lee, John Lee Hooker, Muddy Waters?
2: Yeah. Um, that sort of you know,
1: all, all that early stuff, which, which kind of coincides with um, what Roger Eagles was doing in Liverpool and bringing the, those kind of acts into the country. and, and the early years at the torch, um, where you're getting a lot, of, a lot of the blues acts, are, 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 you know, being brought over here. Uh, so where, where did that influence come to that's come out of the library. Well, yeah, I
2: just, I mean, my mum used to buy a few records when, you know, but that there was no real influence there. Yeah, it was just that uh, I joined the library, and, and I, I don't know where the actual thing come from. I just I just went towards that. I suppose, I suppose, if if there was a pop influence. It was the Moody Blues with Go Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I remember going and buying that LP, and uh, I, I bought Pretty Things uh, and Yardbirds and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I bought originally. But the uh, the stuff from the library, I just experimented with the Thelonious Monk and all sorts of different things. Wow! And then uh, and then I actually uh, bought Alexis Corner live at the Cavern LP. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I don't know. I just sort of
1: it, uh, you get hooked, don't yeah. that, you? That, that's the thing. And, I'm, I mean, at, at that time, um, I don't recall myself at that time, it, it... The first person I recall playing this kind of stuff on the radio was probably Mike Raven. Yeah, um, you know he opened up with soul sound Aid and then it could go anywhere after that. But I mean, there, there was a rawness about that, and there was a connection be- you know, between the soul music and and the blues that you're describing. Um, I think yeah, I think that came through to a certain extent with myself, and uh, I think a, a lot of early influences for me were, were also Atlantic and Stax and uh, you know those labels uh, that were around at that time. Well, if you take the charts, I mean, you had, you had things like
2: Dock on Wood was a, a big chart. Yeah. So I went and bought that LP. And when you browse through, it, what, they weren't soul LPs, it was just popular music. Yeah. So anything that had got a sort of a black face on it, or I'd, I'd look. But then I think uh,
1: Robert Parker got in the charts with Barefooted. He did? Bought that LP. Got a lot of radio plays on the Pirates and, and yeah. you know, and and... and of course that, that got flipped over with the uh, let's go baby where the action yeah, is. <laughs> absolutely so that was there Knock On Wood was there as the LP uh,
2: Wilson Pickett exciting Wilson Pickett and this was this was from a local the local shop which wasn't really a record shop it, they, they did toys fishing tackle
1: you know on a lot other stage. shops are like that were yeah. they I mean experimenting almost with records I mean where Keith Minshler and I used to buy uh, Steeles was an electrical store yeah. that had a spinner and about maybe 80 to 100 singles behind the counter
2: that was it yeah I never really went to a record shop until I started going into into the Sutton Town Centre but I wasn't really into uh, into buying singles particularly I, you know I, I thought value for money uh, an oh, the albums, yeah, yeah. and when you're on the you know pocket
1: money and paper round money you can't go I think I think every every guest who who, who comes from our period has everybody's gone down that same route about money. Yeah. <laughs> at the end of most days, you owe people more money than you could possibly earn. But we kicked off there with some music and and you know stateside and Motown. Uh, you're very much a part of those early years and the OJs particularly. I mean, I dig you. That became a, a huge uh, play at a lot of the a lot of the local clubs. And so, where would you go? Where would you go to, to listen to the music you know, once you've got past this, uh, the library period? Well, when we, when we used to go into
2: a, a local club was, uh, in Erdington, it was called Carlton Ballroom, uh, which later became Mother's. OK. Uh, so that's where uh, we started hearing stuff. It was mixed with a bit of Scar and bluebead, but uh, rock steady. But uh, that's where we first heard stuff like, uh, say, Bud Harp and Mr. Song, yep. Um going to happening Tommy Neil. I remember, but the DJ there was Erskine T, who worked at the Discory. Yes. So straight away,
1: you know, you You've got, you've go got another connection, yeah, yeah. With, yeah. So, uh, but I mean, uh, ag- again, we're, we're on British labels, we're on and I mean, these are records, I mean, and Keith and myself, um, these are records that we could order from, you know, yeah. from the shop. Yeah. And um, when you've got a shop, I mean, in, in Birmingham, you've got the Discory, um, I don't know what else was around at that point in Birmingham. The, the discery was the place, the place yeah, to go. I mean, yeah. that's
2: where you ended up, uh, uh, and and basically you'd buy what they suggested, because you, you know they were playing. Well, Ersk, uh, Erskine was playing them at, at the Carlton, so you you know you what's that? And then you'd be in there sat the afternoon and, and buy it. And listen to music like this.
1: I don't know. Uh, Sutton Caulfield. Sutton so Caulfield, there, yeah, the posh bit. Yeah, it's a posh in. Uh, we, we came in there with uh, Gladys Knight, Just Walking uh, in My Shoes, and then uh, a record that we're both influenced by Mr. Bud Harper, Mr. Soul, which is fantastic. Of course, came out of the UK on Bacalian, but you know, these records are coming up Peacock and all these labels that at, at this time we didn't really know about. You, you might be able to read about their license, yeah. but you didn't take much notice of that at the time, probably. Uh, and then we just finished up with um, I'm Gonna Miss You, another hugely influential record. Um, we've got you know, more influential records from that period to come. So, we're about 67, aren't we? 67, 68, mm-hmm. Discary. Uh, oh, blimey, that's, that shop has been there a long, long time, hasn't it?
2: It was fantastic. Morris Morris uh, was the, the gaffer. There was Jimmy Jimmy there, and uh, little Fritz, I think, was uh, there for a while. But, uh, yeah, the, the the booth was upstairs, so, you know, if you wanted to hear a record, you could just take them upstairs, and yeah, yeah. you take three or four up at a time,
1: yeah. And, and, <laughs> and just have a good time, and singles at that point were about, what, six and eight pence? Or yeah, right, <laughs> around yeah that right, mark, right about that
2: mark, <laughs> were you, could you couldn't buy more
1: than one or two a week. No, no, yeah, no. this money didn't go that far. So, I mean, you, you mentioned another club off uh, uh, the Metro as well. Uh, yeah, the Metro was you, that, Erskine, Erskine was the guy in the shop. Erskine was, but the
2: the I think the main DJ at the Metro at the time was Peter Barclay. Okay, and um, so that's where you know I, I was influenced by the uh, the Invitations and uh, the Incredibles and yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, there's Motown stuff around as well, but um, I never really. I never really got into the Murray Towns right away. It was, just, it was the
1: stacks in the Atlantic. Yeah, us. yeah, def- definitely. I, I, I think that's the way it was. I, I mean, I, I signed to Mecca in 67, so 67, 68. We got the soul nights going on Thursday and Sunday, and it was very much about Socket 2MJB, yeah. Funky Street, Arthur Connolly, um, and. and the very beginnings of the imports um, came in, what was it, uh, what it, what is this, which we found in Walworth? Bobby Womack, yep. um, and you played one tonight, I dig your act, um, you know the Neptune label, I mean you started to sneak in the, the what was it, the hundred and thirty feet watts band <laughs> in records like that, um, and most of the records we were playing were on UK labels, yeah. Yeah, everything.
2: I mean, I had I this sort of, uh, i got a thing about UK stuff. Yeah, when I, was, when I was a kid, I collected stamps. Didn't bother with the foreign countries, just UK stuff. And <laughs> I, 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 I sort of I've got this sort of affinity where I think that the, the, the record is a bit like a stamp. It looks great like a stamp. The bonus is you can hear it as well. So collecting records, a bit like
1: collecting stamps. You've got to, you've got to get the set. <laughs> as you say, you got the bonus of the records because you've got the music on there and you can play them. But I think yeah, the British labels and, 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 and British records were made to a better standard uh, at that time. And um, yeah, I think, I think as time went on as we got into the early 70s and, and more and more imports started to flood in, uh, you realised there was there was a complete backstory to all this, you know, that, that was much bigger than any of us <laughs> and much bigger than all our wallets put together. Well, was noticed on one of, my, uh, one of my mail order lists, um, I'd put
2: a, a little section at the bottom where I got a once list. It just so happens they were all imports. Yeah. <laughs> because they, like you said, they just crept in.
1: Yeah, they did. Yeah. They, I, I mean, whether it was via Ruckle Corner and and there was a place in Bedford, or what was that, FL Mall, yeah. which was uh, you know the supplier of, of of the lists and. Uh, you know, the word was getting more and more, but when they went down to London, I mean, I, I, I do remember going to Soul City, um, but not none of the other shops really uh, You know, were connecting with what was happening in the Midlands and the North, so you, 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 you're going to the Metro, it's, it's sort of late 60s, so had you got the collector's bug then that that started? Yeah, no, it's, I, well, I used to have a, a job. Um, I, I went
2: to art college i didn't last long i lasted a year and then i, I patted in so i got a job um, driving a van and that gave me the opportunity to go around all the junk shops uh, so so it was it was and it was all english so i, I got the bug i got the bug by then <laughs> <laughs> i've got a few stories about FL Moore. Uh, yeah well uh, tell us about FL Moore,
1: something. because i mean for me that you know i mean discovering them and you know being able to buy imports and, and a few people i, I mean i never Went down there, but a few people did, and yeah. said there was just an unbelievable amount of, of, of American records. Yeah, uh, yeah. The
2: the um, the first time me and Jan went round, down there, we uh, we went. It was the one in uh, late. Is it late in Buzzard? First one. Yeah, yeah, best Yeah. And um, they let us go upstairs, and literally those hundred boxes were about waist high and you could walk around the edge of the room and all the boxes were in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, God knows how many thousand boxes. Uh, so we assumed that around the edges someone's already looked through them but not the middle. So we sort of <laughs> we worked our way to the as, as near the middle as we could go and then started looking through the boxes. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't know what to look for mm-hmm. because
1: mm-hmm. you know the the so it was—it was a whole new world, wasn't it? I mean, it was just—it was just opening opening a, a door that none of us knew, uh, you know, what what was behind it. And in, in terms of volume, well, Jan said to me, she said, "Well, what 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 shall I look for?" And I
2: said, "Anything with ZTSC on it." <laughs> I don't know why I don't, that, 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 it became the N word. I don't yeah. think most people knew why. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I brought that record was brought the Detroit connection. Yeah. Well, one of the records I got from there, which I brought along tonight, was the Ivories. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was one of the but but when I went to the other shop, they had a shop that was in um, Dunstable or somewhere like that, and well, I had loads of OK stuff out of there. I had the Seven Seven Souls, yeah, the Dunstable. And we don't I mean at Lake Buzzard. We're talking ten pence. Uh, I think at the shop they're about a pound. Yeah. Um, and then did you
1: get the list as well
2: and, and buy? Up, yeah, and I, bought, I bought up the list. Bought, yeah, I bought the list with my. <laughs> In that wallet somewhere, yeah. I bought the list just in case. It was worth uh,
1: getting out. Yeah. So what? What are the clubs? What other clubs did you start to uh, to attend at that t- at that time? We I mean, we we're kind of late sixties, aren't we? This is this before the catacombs, and it's just before. Yeah, it's before the catacombs. There was one or two all nighters,
2: but I was too young really to go to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we started going to Warsaw. <laughs> That's where I met Jan. Uh, we started at Warsaw Royal Hotel in Warsaw, the George Hotel. The Caves Club. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the Royal was quite influential. Again, cause yeah, was, I, mean, I mean, later I came down and played at the Royal a couple of times, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, Alan Broadbent. He, 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 it was just nice stuff. And that's where I sort of got into a bit more of the Motown stuff,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know. Yeah. Um, like like the velvet Lits and uh, yeah, I, th- I think yeah, I, I think that, that was that was uh, our experience as well. In 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 st- a similar thing was happening, whereas uh, uh, Motown was kind of in the background. Um, you know, and every now and again a record would, would push through. I mean, velvet Litsch is a good example, but you know, um, a touch of velvet. You know, I mean, all uh, all that mix of records and uh, you know. Pushing through on Motown, of course, you'd hear the Elgins, you'd hear the Isley Brothers, and, and and they would they would feature because a lot of a lot of what people called I mean you look back at them and call them soul clubs but but they played kind of everything I mean even the torch in in the late sixties you'd, you'd hear the Beach Boys latest tune you'd hear A main Corner you know you'd hear. Records are all mixed in with with the soul, and then Chubby Checker would come on, everything's wrong, you know? <laughs> so it was, it was a, a complete mix, and uh, you know, some of the records that you've already played and uh, some of the ones we've highlighted were very much a part of that. Uh, 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 the beginnings of, 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 of an underground scene, the beginnings of, of people making a decision to go these places where you could hear these records. Well, as I say, I'll just say to you off,
2: off air, we used to... Uh, Couple of friends who had been to the uh, the Twisted Wheel, they they'd arrived back on a Sunday. We'd be kicking the ball around the park, and all they would be raving about was records that we hadn't heard at the local clubs. Things like Mr. Bang Bang Man and Scratchy and stuff like that. And of course, the, it was just a, a different world. So we had to we had to get up there and see what they sounded like. Because you wouldn't hear them. I wouldn't hear them at the at the Royal Hotel. or... No. Or at the uh, the Carlton. Um, like
1: where was where was um, Farmer Carl Dean at this point? Was he was he someone who went to the will? Well, I
2: I I've only recently got to know uh, Carl. Uh, Jan used to go down to the Chateau Imply on a Sunday yep. afternoon. Yep. Um, and the dad used to come and pick her up. Didn't, didn't they? um It was a, a day out for him and his missus, <laughs> uh, and have a, a pint at the. Chateau, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Jan sort of got to know him uh, before me, um, but I think he was,
1: uh, I think he used to do the George, didn't he, I have something to do with the George Hotel. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. But um, but I think, I think, I think that, you know, that connection, it was happening to you down in the Midlands, it was happening to us in Stoke-on-Trent, the, you know, the, the the wheel did become the, the the kind of central point of it all, where the where the music seemed to be coming out. And, and Roger Eagles, when you know when he took over there, he, he was in charge of entertainment, so he was booking booking the live acts, and that was really where he, he came from. When he was into the blues and the R and B, and as it became more soulful, he, he was less and less interested. But certainly, um, at, at, at its iconic time for what became the Northern Soul scene, uh, Twisted Wheel played a massive pop more music like this. guest tonight, Mr. Steve Glover, and um, kicked off there with She below a Good Thing, the American Poets, and uh, we went into a record that uh, almost demonic um, in the way it presents itself. Um, a lot of the uh, guys later on using little bits of it in uh, as samples, but Scratchy by Travis Womack, on Atlantic Records, and there, of course, Mr. Bang Bang Man, which was a huge, huge favourite for the Twisted Wheel goes and also for my uh, late like friend, Mr. Keith Mitchell, It was one of his favourite records at the time, and uh, it was a record um became one that you had to hunt down and talking about hunting down I mean Steve's brought a listing from FL Moore in Leighton Buzzers back then um, a lot of the singles on here are about four shillings when you, when people were earning uh, Steve was on, had a very good job at £15 pounds a week but a lot of people earning 8 10 pounds a week and uh, looking at the back here we've just seen Jerry Cook for seven shillings I mean at this time uh, is absolutely incredible just showed you FL Moore for me was definitely one of the, the leaders you've got all sorts of stuff tucked away on here uh, Brenda, Joe Harris, um, Donald Height—you um, know—I mean, just incredible uh, when you look back now. And I mean, this was a learning process at the time, so people wouldn't immediately pick up on these titles. But when you look back at them now, I mean, Homer Banks—a lot of love. That was six shillings. Um, most records in the shops were about six shillings and eightpence, and um, so I mean, th- these were still not cheap records, but I mean. It, F.L. Moore was definitely uh, one of the leaders in opening people's minds to uh, imported American soul music, and that's what we uh, had become addicted to, and that's what we wanted, so it was a a whole new world. So, uh, Steve, um, you're driving a band, so you're getting around a little bit more to the shops, Um, you're getting around to the junk shops in particular, and and finding and collecting this stuff. I mean... all all this kind of stuff, which you've now got on fantastic uh, original <laughs> demos. I mean, back then you would you wouldn't find that 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 kind of uh, opportunity to get British demos like that. Well, I've brought along a, one of the mail order lists that uh, I used to put out. And um, when when did you start selling yourself? What you, roughly, what year did you start selling? I was about seventy. Uh, about seventy-one. Seventy-one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We went on
2: the uh, well. We used to go around the junk shops and, and whatever, but um, the uh, blue pages. or okay. de- They're all demos. Oh, uh, what?
1: <laughs> I just got to this one. I just said, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. I think I am talking a little bit before '71, but but I see I see what you mean. Yeah, I mean you incredible you. Tom Motown. Uh, contours on demo. It's so hard being a loser. Columbia Demos, Bobby Bennett, Major Lance, uh, Solomon King um, yeah my mother coming home from Keel Services I mean got Solomon King's autograph for me um, you got Virginia Woolf's Day, of course High Cats. yeah incredible incredible and so you, you you've accumulated records I mean w- w- was there anywhere particularly you went to buy records in quantity uh, where you knew you, you FL Moore would be one place, how, how many trips would you make there? I went to f was two or three times,
2: to be yep. fair, because it was down, you know, quite a long way to yep. drive. Um, but later on, we went as far as Gibraltar looking for records. Wow. We spent a week in Gibraltar, and uh, we uh, spent a whole day in one... one. Well, there was two, two main shops, uh, Universal Stores and another one called Es Dahuma, I think it was pronounced. Um, we spent an afternoon in the in the one place, uh, going it was at the back of the counter there was a room and it was all shelved out um again uh, we didn't we didn't really know a lot a lot of the records yeah so it was just if it was on london the chances are it would be half decent yeah yeah so we pulled out you know the uh, black atlantic drifters um Otis Reddings all that sort of stuff um a lot of London stuff hmv stuff um, but uh, the, the thing that we didn't find was any state sides, right? And um, there was Town, Motown, there was lots of stuff, um, but, but no state sides. So after we'd sort of bundled these pile of records out and, and put them on the counter, I said to the lad there, I said I can only find this, these two or three state sides in the orange sleeves. Yeah, yeah. I said where, where, where's all the blue? The blue sleeves. When you open the back door, there was a pile of ashes. And all scattered around the edge was blue. And they'd burnt them. They'd burnt them. Wow. And you you, you know. And this is, this is in Gibraltar? This is in Gibraltar. Yeah. Wow. But there was a fella. What we used to do. Sorry, I'm going to of myself. <coughs> what's, um, what, what's me and some of the friends used to do. I was driving, so I, I, I could get around, but they would go on, on the bus. They'd get down to London, and they'd buy a Rover ticket, and they'd hop right yeah. off. So they'd be looking for records uh, and do it that way. And uh, when they got fed up of doing that, they told me there was a place they, they'd uh, always go to on, on the trip, and it was in Peckham Park Road. Okay. And it was a Tobacconists. And um, so we, the first opportunity we went down there, uh, it was just off the old Kent Road and that was loads of junk shops down there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we went there and, um, and we got a few records and uh, in between the girls serving people for sweets and whatever, she let us have a look through. We got to know the fella quite well. His name was Harry tipple, And um, in the end, uh, again, I've brought a, a book up to show you. Uh, in the end, he used to come up from London and deliver them to our house. And I've got a list of some of the stuff and he was a fantastic bloke. Wow. But by then I was buying the pop records as well. So if it was Tyrannosaurus Rex or yeah. stuff like that, you know, the rarer pop, yeah. pop records, yeah. I'd actually buy them as well. And then so like, like that early stuff on Regals on a phone, that kind of stuff yeah yeah, yeah. stuff. yeah, yeah. And and on the way back home we'd stop stop off at another record shop and trade. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it was uh, was it Vintage Records? Would be. I know it was by Holloway Prison. It's mm. the only thing I
1: can remember. Uh, we just used trays. Um, and then at this point, are you are you selling records just mail order, or you have you got premises? Uh, mail order. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: just mail order. I mean, this uh, this is the the sixth list I put out, and this is uh, seventy. Uh, I Can't remember the date on this one. But uh, just just to show you, all all those. All those pages there—that's all demos. Wow.
1: <laughs> but but the stuff you could you could find stuff. So how 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 were the demos reaching reaching the shops or the places you we were going? How, how, how was that? happening, record companies just dumping them because nobody wanted them? Or? Well, the one day, the one day was uh, the one day was in London, and we'd had a really bad
2: day. Couldn't really, and we were thinking that. Just turning around and going home and we pulled up at some traffic lights, and there's a shop. There's a row of shops, and there's all Tupperware type plasticky stuff yeah. on the pavement in front of it. And there was, um, you know, these things you have at, uh, on the seaside where you put the postcards in. Yes, right, yes. That spin round. Well, we saw, and I said, I said the record stuffed in that, that thing <laughs> into the spinner yeah they're just, they're just out sprouting out like a tree it was. so we pulled we pulled over went up there couldn't believe it I two two uh, invitations demos two fantastic demos there's about 40 odd demos all together and it wow it, it turned out I think they came from the roundhouse I believe right nice. where they just unloaded them and uh, when I went to so like,
1: at least they didn't do like the Gibraltar's and burn them. They, they stuck uh, them in a spinner. Yes. <laughs> and uh,
2: the girl said, "Oh, you, you've got two of these." I said, "Well, I'll, I'll take them both." I said, "One of them might be scratched." So, back back <laughs> and they were like ten pence each.
1: Wow! <laughs> Stories from Mr. Steve yeah. Glover, and uh, you know, really the essence and the beginning of the uh, what became the Northern self scene, but the underground self scene at the time. Um, you know. in inviting people to come and listen, and bringing people around. Um, It was a whole word of mouth thing back in those days, and definitely uh, the mail order list played a massive part in that. as well, and uh, they're saying hello to Jan as well, Jan's here, you know she's here, she's uh, running the show at the back here, and uh, keeping me and Steve in place, and that's what's happening. But um, we're talking about the history, and we're talking about iconic records, but also, you know, the stories you, you're telling me, I mean, you know, I've been around nearly as long as you, and, um, you know, I mean, blimey, I, the work you must have put in, and, and the effect you've had, and, and the amount of people you must have got involved must have been absolutely incredible because, you know, I, I mean, y- you wouldn't find um, in, in the kind of regular shops, uh, your Rediffusions and your walruses and places you look for records. I mean, Woolworths had some good hits with Philips and Blue Rock and, you know, we found you know, your Bobby Hebb's and stuff like that in there. Um, but I can't think of a shop that I would ever walk in and find the, the amount of demos you've just shown me on that list and the stories down there. And you've also mentioned... Um, uh, this next record we're going to play um, you, you actually bought this record on a trip down to Dave Goddard in Soul City, tell us about that yeah it was a school trip to uh,
2: the V&A Museum and uh, I decided to uh, skip it and uh, make my way to <laughs> Soul, uh, Soul City but again it's it's a case of not knowing anything really um, so and, and, and obviously not much money Mm-hmm. So I couldn't, I couldn't just pick a, a record. I just went for the experience of yeah, saying yeah. I've been yeah, to, yeah. to Soul City. Yeah. Um, but there was a, a box of, of, of cheapies uh, on the counter, uh, and it had a, a metal rod through it to stop it being nicked. Uh-huh. So I decided to just flick through them as, as part of the experience, and I came across this uh, demo, and I thought three shilling, you know, shall a chance I. But then he had those magic words, Discotech 66 series, and I thought, well, I've got to have it. That I, that is the, the, the magic password here yeah. on those on those early records. Yeah, yeah, but I hadn't heard the record. I didn't know the artist. Mm-hmm. But I bought it just for Discotheque 66. I mean, from your memory, was, was God in the shop that day, or no, David no, Nathan? I don't think was so, David like. Nathan in the shop? Yeah, no, no. I, I, I wouldn't have known. No, you wouldn't have known who they were. I yeah. mean, I, I yeah. did meet uh, Dave Godin on the Motorway Services one night. I was introduced to him by somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I, I wouldn't have. Uh, Probably recognise him at the time. I, I, I mean, I know I've seen pictures of blues and soul and stuff, so
1: I suppose I suppose I might have. But, um, but as you as you say, the whole thing was was a learning experience. You 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 you, you know, all of us were, wouldn't take that count. I went to Carnaby Street in '68, and I went to some record shops. I couldn't tell you what they were, yeah. where they were. You know, <laughs> it was just hit and miss, as you say. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's part of the
2: experience of. Uh, I mean. You had to rummage, I mean, when you when you went there, you didn't pick out, oh, that's a nice demo, well, that's, uh, the, uh, uh, you bought everything, because it was all ten pence. Yes, yes. You know, and if you had a fiver to spend, you'd spend it. That, that's a lot of talent, yeah. Yeah, you know, we used to go to a place in Northampton. In fact, I played a record last night on the, uh, on the, um, on your left under yeah, Underplayed thing. Uh, Moon Williams it was, mm-hmm. uh, 10p. The sticker's still on the back. Got it from (laughs) Memory Lane in Northampton. Um, I mean, Moon I don't don't know what it's worth these days, but it's certainly a few few (laughs) quid More than two. Yeah. (laughs) But we just used to buy everything and anything. I mean, who was Moon Williams? We just bought it because it was a demo. Yeah, yeah. So that was one of the other criteria. If it was a demo, buy it. I got tons of
1: pop records on demo at home. Tons. so did i mean i mean through now you you're accessing these records you've got these records you've got a list going out there as well um and we're talking about 71 so let's let's bring the catacombs in there when do the catacombs come into the picture this podcast oh that's the we've got a pile so we'll, we'll move on to the catacombs in a bit but so you you're now building up uh, a regular clientele regular guys are, yeah. are buying off you where, where would they be from
2: yeah all, uh, all over the country mainly up north yeah uh, mainly up north um I can't remember the names okay. of all the customers and um, uh, what about towns cities um, no no just generally generally up up people just
1: generally up north generally up north, <laughs> generally up north. um yeah. Uh, and, and, and what else is going on? What else is going on in the Midlands? I mean, you, you you're still working. You're driving the van, um, and you've got your record list well, going out there. I met
2: Jan there, so we we started. And I I, obviously I was driving, so we went a bit further afield, started going to the uh, the catacombs, mm-hmm. and um, that was really uh, that was really it. I mean, the catacombs was unlike anywhere else. Yeah, it was a bit like the metro. The fact that it was arches and, you know, a proper proper atmosphere. Yeah. But it was a lot closer. Mm-hmm. And um, you really felt, when you went in there, you felt it because the water would be dripping, the sweat would be dripping, you, you know, uh,
1: and it, it was just overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, mean I, I hear everything you say because the torch for me was was, was like my catacombs, if you will. You know, I mean, I walked out in there in 68 and, you yeah, know, I was dressed like a clown. Um, I, I had to learn that side of it because, I mean, uh, we, we both talked about every penny went on to music and, uh, you know, I had, to, I had to learn that, you know, I needed to get a Ben Sherman, I needed to get myself sorted out with the, with the tonics and, all, and, and the, the shoes, the brogues. So it was, yeah, a learning process. Cause this was was the back end of the mods? This was, um, you know, I mean that that was very much a part of it, um, and uh, very much a part of the image. But I am astounded by you know the stuff you you accessed at that time, and it's no wonder that uh, the scene in the Midlands grew up the way it did, Steve, because you must have been a massive influence. piece of history this record was bought in soul city record they've got in shop in london town off there with the the record that you you got for uh, three shillings, the demo of Patrice Holloway out of uh, Soul City Records. Dave Godin's fantastic shop in London. And, um, you know, he, his terms, I did have the conversation with him about, about, you know, the term (laughs) Northern Soul. And it was a way of um, explaining to his staff that the people from the North, when they came down to either a football match or like with you, you just go around and then uh, dive out of whatever you're supposed to be doing go and look for soul city um that there were people from the north who wanted these faster records you know faster records to dance to because london was very much uh, more of a down tempo and very much a james brown city um back in those days i mean the people the early londoners used to come to the torch you know very much into that and you couldn't believe that we didn't play although we did actually play there was a time and we played a america um by james brown but uh so We've done that bit and then we moved on to uh three more fantastic records, the second of which, um was Little Richard and I don't wanna discuss it and on your cover here, uh you in fact that that one actually says Hey American. <laughs> so we've got a bit of James <laughs> Brown squeezed in. But on the cover here which, which is called uh, you know, I don't wanna discuss it, but you're my girl. So tell us about that. You've written You're My Girl by Little Richard. Yeah, well <laughs> we used to hang around the uh, the DJ's booth. At
2: the uh, catacombs uh, and i got to know um, bob and alan <coughs> excuse me uh, pretty well um but i used to uh, he used to cover the records up so he couldn't see what they were called and i used to say uh, because that's the the, the chorus is like you're my girl yeah that's yeah. what i thought the record was called right so uh i used to sort of say bob but he's gonna play you're my girl and of course he uh, he, he he that he thought that was funny, <laughs> so uh, he took, took me to one side and said, "If you want to get that record, I'll give you a clue." He said, "The A—it's a B-side, and the A-side is the theme music to a western." That's all he said. Oh. Well, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> not much of a clue. Not much of a clue, <laughs> but it's a hurry sundown. Yeah, that, that wouldn't help me even if no. he'd told me. <laughs> but he—he—it he, he, was his way of sort of. Yeah, that's
1: well, that, that, um, you know that uh, you know that whether it was a beer map whether it was a piece of paper whatever it was it, I mean that that was rife in the torch way before the all-nighters where the DJ didn't want to tell you you know, what the records were I mean that was a way of protecting it and to break that down you know we, we, we went more and more until you know we built up a list and then over a period of about six months Keith and I were in front of the DJ then you know we by going to other places talking to other people you know he wasn't Going as wide as we were, so we started and we're really used to aggravating. Then, eventually, Keith was given a, one of the what they call the rotating sets on, on a Friday night, and that's when we first started to see people from Manchester, people from Wolverhampton, Midlands. You know, that's the, the Torch Friday night became, you know, a very, very busy night. But we go back and, and just touch on we talked about uh, London, we talked about uh, that record shop. Did you ever go to Contempo Records looking for yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, we got uh, I uh, been up there, I think we got uh, Joy Love Joy, was one of the records we wow. got one day there. Uh, and a couple of English, I think, with the impressions,
1: demos. Uh, but it was Joy Love Joy. Was, that was... The that record. I mean, just one... you know, We talked about, about Baby reconsider. we talk about Queen of Fools. There were certain records that were just... You know, people would travel yeah. just to hear those records. And, yeah. then, and back in those days, Steve, um, it was very much... You would go to that club because you wouldn't hear them records anywhere else until next time the club opened. Yep, yep. Well, I was going to, I was going to
2: mention that uh, about Sale Mecca because we used to yep. drive up to Sale Mecca when Andy Hanley was. Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, we used to play uh, Cool Off, the Joint yes. Executives, yes. and. Uh, We we weren't hearing that anywhere else, so
1: we'd we'd go because we knew we'd Well that. was I'd I'd, I'd finished Sail Mecca by that point, but I mean, I was playing cool off, obviously, at Blackpool at that point. But um, Sail Mecca on a Thursday and Darwin Tiffany's uh, on a Wednesday, they were two grounds that Levine and myself used to actually... Start playing records even before we tried them at the Mecca just to get a reaction because you hadn't got a big room, no. uh, you hadn't got as many people, and so it wasn't such a disaster, if yeah. it failed. Yeah. And then, and people were more prone to what we talked about earlier to coming up and, and saying, Oh, what's this? You know, we like this, but cool off was a, just a different vibe, wasn't it? Yeah, it was absolutely. just one of those records, it was a completely different vibe. So, we're now at the catacombs. Yeah. Uh, who who were the DJs at, at this particular time well, when we you first went? started
2: going? It was Alan's, Alan S, Alan yeah, you, Alan Alan and um, and Bob, they yep. were the two DJs, and um, we used to go virtually every week when, when they were DJing. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't really go to so well when uh, Froggy was there. Uh, we, we we when Frog Froggy was DJing. Not so much with Graham Waugh or, or Neil Rushton or, or Blue Max, to be fair. But but that was later, wasn't that it? That was a lot. That was a lot later, a yeah. Lot later yeah. Yeah. So yeah. uh, when, when they were there, yeah, the records. Every, the thing about it was Bob. Uh, I think Bob in particular. <laughs> this is Bob Crocker. Yeah. yeah. He had a great way of playing records. It, it was almost it, it was almost a science to him. Because he'd stick his head out and he'd see who was dancing and uh, and you virtually knew that after two or three faster records you'd s- stick a slow one on, <laughs> just uh, and it sort of it sort of cooled everything down and then he'd build, build it, it back up again. again. And it was like this all night, yes, sir.
1: and that was fantastic. I just ate it when I go out. And I, uh, you, bang, you, you've bang, just bang. done that. Yeah, you know, when I've been interviewed many times over the years, you've just. On the sign that I always do, and for me, DJing is is that it, yeah. it's a roller coaster. You can't just keep going faster and faster, no. or you can't you, you stay slow all the time. But it has, it, it makes it interesting. It's, it's like you're telling a story, and, and so I understand what you're saying about about the science of, of doing that. And Bob Crocker, you built up a very excellent reputation. Alan Ness was just a lovely bloke. I mean, I, you know, quiet, yeah. inoffensive, and uh, I didn't know a lot about him, but I always got on with him very very well. I didn't know Bob Crocker, um, but I knew of his reputation. Yeah. And as you say, Graham Moore uh, and all these guys were a lot later. But the music we're playing now, the music we're playing now, which is uh, this, this is pre Torch All Nighters. This is this this is what 70, 71. Yeah, we'll say so And we'll better. do some more of that and more demos. Yeah. You must have the most demos. Which one? Which one? Which one? Which one? Which one? Hey,
3: I'm sick and tired of everybody just pushing us over.
1: the soul scene that was built up in the late 60s and early 70s, and uh, finishing up there. I mean, all these very nicely on on demos. Uh, That was Capitol Records, of course, and uh, the human beings, nobody but me. But, uh, I mean, this music just took over, didn't it? I mean, we're now, we're in in the catacombs. Is the catacombs an all-nighter at this point? No, I don't think it was. No. So so it it would be a two o'clock finish and this, this would be, what, early 70s? Yeah, I mean, we'd, sometimes we'd we'd carry on up to uh,
2: to an all nighter, uh, but that was later on. I mean, at first we just to go back back home and yeah, that, that was it. We might have gone to the bowling alley for you know another hour or something like that, but uh, generally it was a early night. Then. And and so, how many people? Is there a queue outside? There used to be a queue outside, yeah. And uh, strange thing is, we used to. We, we got to know some of the people who eventually the the the, the fella on the door the fella who did the uh, the coats ended up in oasis with the clothes
1: stalls and those, these were mates of Alan's. and uh, well you, you just flipped me to where i wanted to go and that's when when did you open your shop in in the oasis and and what prompted that well it was getting harder and harder to to, to
2: source the uh yeah, but the travelling involved sorting the, the mail order stuff. We got the imports coming in, so it was easier to, to go to places to get imports, like uh, the fella in Telford. In the yeah, yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's AJ C- Lewis, Lewis yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that was a fantastic place to it go. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I found a Bernie Williams there. Yeah, well...
2: <laughs> there's a naughty story I could tell you about that place, I might I <laughs> might do that off there. But, yeah. Uh, so there was there, there was a lot more opportunity, and of course we, you could start getting records
1: direct from America as well. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, well, pe- people had started that, hadn't they? and then people had started to write to uh, the record labels and write write to the, any any address they could find on the labels. I mean, that had evolved in in Blackpool. It had evolved in Stoke. There was people just doing that. Yeah. We used to go to uh, we we had records from Randy's, um,
2: Brooks, uh, Cape. All these sort of places, mm-hmm. but that's that sort of started off with soul packs, yeah. You, you know, if you send for a soul pack, uh,
1: I, I mean, it, probably about 10 quid for a hundred, yeah, and yeah, yeah. uh, a, a lot used to do them with soul boulder, them as well, yeah. yeah. Well, that,
2: that, that was a sort of a, a source of, of some stuff. Uh, I've got a couple with me tonight that we, we had some soul packs in America, um, but it was that, it's that much easier, and of course, i, I I fed up of driving the van, so
1: um, <laughs> we just... even though petrol, by today's standards, was bloody cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
2: uh, I, don't know how we, uh, I don't know. I honestly don't Honest though, I can't remember how we got started. Okay, with Alan. Okay,
1: uh, Alan had already got. The store, in I Oasis. It, yeah, it already got that. I just, just describe to everybody. The, the Oasis was like this, almost underground, cavernous, catacombs type uh, v- retail uh, site. And then Graham Moore was in there. Yeah, Graham Moore was in there. You clothes were in there. There was, there was also. I mean, it was unbelievable there. place. It really was a, a maze. Yeah, it used to
2: attract all sorts of people. There was the fellow next door to us was selling. He was an Indian fella selling sort of. Sticks and the captain type things there was frank opposite who used to do all the uh, the american air force the all the army yeah, stuff, yeah, army yeah, surplus yeah. bowling shirts that yeah, sort of stuff yeah. and then there's uh, Goggle which was Neil from the catacombs uh they they were clothes uh phil who uh, he was a musician he played with sissy stone he he, he was working on the shoes shoe stuff shoe, stop,
1: shoe yeah, it was uh, Danny Reddington was in there at one point. Yeah. Um when did, when when did Reddington start? Was it, is it was it before before you went into When did uh, they start? Well, I start? I remember, remember the kiosk as well Yeah, it? the kiosk by the Outrigger pub. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that was I think that was the first one. But he I, I don't know what he had. He, he, he came from Greeth, which is one of the areas in Birmingham. I don't know if he had any sort of shop there, but okay. the first one I
1: knew of was the kiosk. Yeah, the kiosk, yeah. And yeah. I think it was... Uh, it was Bob Morris from Stoke who, who was the first person to tell me about the kiosk, because he came back with a Bobby Williams. I've only got myself to blame. Oh, <laughs> blimey. <laughs> well, I can remember Verve, a lot of Verve stuff yeah. there at yeah.
2: the time. Um, and then, of course, he moved to the the, the Ringway, sort of subway thing was uh, ended up in uh, uh, in um, Digbeth what, Dale? uh, No, the bus station, Digbeth yeah, ended up down by the bus station Uh, and eventually we we went to see him got quite friendly with Dan Went to see him down in uh, Redditch way before he sold up to some German fella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, but we some great records. I mean, we were friends with Danny, so if we were if we ran short of something, uh, we'd go down there and he he'd can go bit up them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, pressings and stuff.
1: Yeah, he's yeah. a great, great fella. And um, Mr. Judson, I mean, he, he was a stoked boy, wasn't he? Worked for you for a while as well. Yeah, well, when I when. As I say, I can't
2: remember how, how, we, how we got in with Alan, uh, how that started, but we sort of merged the thing together uh, and we opened that one in Manchester. Uh, and we had a little clothes shop as well in yeah, Manchester. Yeah. But yes, we had uh, Jimmy Lynn was looking after uh, um, Birmingham and he, he got a good ear for stuff. So when, uh, when Manchester came along, we used to send Jimmy down to Global to, to dig records out for us. He was more, you know, a ground level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> no, uh, not not as hyped.
1: Red yeah. chart, little Charlie Judson. He. he uh, he and, of course, and Global them. was Ed Balbier, which eventually became yeah. Yanks. I mean, that that was where... Richard Serling worked there for a while as well, and Keith and I went up there when it was on uh, Cross Street. I mean, just, just around the corner in the old bank. In the uh, uh, basement? Yeah, in the basement, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. where I first met Richard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Richard uh, and Richard Cooper. Yes, Rick yeah. Cooper, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Rick Cooper bought a lot of my originals. You know, as records got pressed, Rick would yeah. always be there with 20 or 30, quid <laughs> and take yeah. him away, you
2: know. Well, we... Uh, we bumped into the fella from the discree there the one day, and he, you know, I used to be a regular at the discree, so he looked at me, and I went, I'm Morris, And then he sort of went to, to Ed Dalby and goes, what, is, what are you selling records to him for? And we, he had to explain that we'd got this market store. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I was there the day the, 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 the cable... 'Cause he had a couple of sons working there. Yes. And they got this extension cable out. Instead of unwinding it all, they plugged it in but left it all the extension on the reel. Wow. And it caught fire. Lots <laughs> <laughs> <The bottom laughs> were in the in the place. <laughs> yeah, but uh yeah. Good, good, good old day. So that was
1: that was another. I mean, you know, he's selling records to people now, going to the clubs, and and, and the catacombs eventually turned into an all night session as well. Um, was it during the catacombs that Bob Crocker died? You know, while the yeah. club was still running, that was a car crash. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah, car crash, and Alan broke
2: both his legs. Yeah. Uh, I think that's when Froggy started DJing at
1: the Yeah, Chats. yeah. And then later, as you say, it was it was Graham War. I mean, yeah. um, Graham, of course, had, had uh, a, a good trip to Miami. I mean, he'd found he'd blown my mind to pieces a few other things, and uh, uh, he passed the information on to Ian Levine, who had a massive hit in Miami, um, you know, at the same place. Did, um, I think, uh, was Graham working for uh, Record Corner at the time? Yes, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think he was...
2: I think I, I, I we got the ump actually because he was keeping all the stuff which he would be because he was selling to record shops on behalf of record Waller, Yeah, yeah. But of course we we didn't get a look in because he wanted them all for himself in the market. Yes, and yes. So when car wash and stuff like that came about, yeah, we just we just didn't stand a chance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Just> <laughs> wouldn't let us have them. The, the joys of business. Yeah.
3: coming
0: FM The Power Station The Power Station With Colin Curtis
1: lands, of course, the next in line, but before that Make Me Yours, an absolute soul classic, of course, and uh, talking off air, a huge uh, Dave Godin record, he used to push that all the time in Blues and Soul, and then um, a record that definitely uh, uh, caused it to get played at the torch was was the demand we were getting from from people who went to the Catacombs in Wolverhampton, uh, Birmingham area, Kenny Bernard, Pity My Feet, which is... uh, (laughs) Who would have played that down there at that time? Who would... It must have been... uh have been bob yeah yeah definitely uh yeah. and we've got another one coming up that falls very much into that category but um so you're selling records you're getting to know more and more people you're in the oasis in birmingham um you go into the catacombs when's the first time you went to the torch well i was looking i was doing
2: some research before this afternoon and the torch was out. It running for about twelve months, wasn't it? it was all night. The all
1: nighters ran for thirteen months before yeah. the police closed it down. Yeah. <laughs> so, whenever that was, it was in nineteen seventy-two, and yeah. then it closed in seventy-three.
2: Yeah. 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 yeah it was, I suppose, nineteen seventy-two. Yeah. Uh, I used to. So you,
1: you'd not been to the torch on the Friday nights no. or, or prior to that. No. So the
2: first time you would go would yeah. be an all nighter. Okay. Yeah, the all night, the all nighters, and um, I used to quite enjoy it. I never went to any of the live acts. Okay. Um, going to all nighters is quite tiring. <laughs> That's is understatement. statement. It? <laughs> so it's something we didn't do every week
1: or yeah, month. Yeah. I can't remember how often they were on. Those. Well, so, sometimes, yeah, fortnightly mainly. Yeah, yeah. yeah during the, during those thirteen months, yeah, yeah, yeah. Prior to that, I mean, the, you know, uh, uh, Friday night became you know the big night at the torch between sixty eight and sort of 71, 72. Beginning the '72, and when we heard the wheel was closing, then Keith and myself kept pestering Chris Burton to yeah. you know to, and he said, "I won't get a license." You know, we, we're in a street where residents are ten feet away from the door, yeah. and, and we got a phone call one day just just to say that um, he'd managed to get a license. When could when could we do it? So well, next Saturday, <laughs> just give it a whirl. You know, I think the wheel lasted a, a, a couple of weeks into that, and of course, the torch. Um, the, the pull of the torch in the end, of course, closed uh, the first phase of Blackpool Mecca, which was Tony Jebb's here and Leska Cal and to uh, supplying the records. Um, and that had to close as well because the tendencies had dropped that much. So, I, I mean, uh, but Catacomb seemed to ride through all that. It
2: Well, I, I, I don't know about, uh, uh, you know, about the, how that rated against other clubs, but I know that. Uh, as as an atmospheric place, you know, it just ticked all the boxes. Um, I mean, accessibility wasn't brilliant uh, at the catacombs. Um, We had the car broken in once. uh, We used to park round by the church. Um, And despite it being the catacombs, you went up the stairs? Yeah, you went
1: up the stairs. I don't know what the building was beforehand. And it really was a, a mishmash. The DJ was kind of... We've got a picture of me being taken in there, I think, with Blue Max and, and, and Self Sam. we all, like, crammed into this
2: stage. Yeah, little, it was just
1: little, a little little yeah. booth with a window that,
2: that sort of looked onto the dance floor. And there was a, a slight raised area which would, would served as a bit of a stage. Um, we saw Bob and Earl there the one night. Uh, but they were, uh, let's say, inebriated... <laughs>
1: so they, did, they didn't perform particularly well. Um, <laughs> so sounds that, like, sounds like the Royce the Roy C fiasco with the torch you know, to get him off. Yeah? Yeah. he sang Shotgun Wedding three times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they uh, they got booed off
2: anyway. But uh, yeah, there was and, and then it, it sort of it was sort of wrapped around with little booths, little arched booth areas. Um, I seen s- sketches on, on on Facebook of of what it looked like and yeah, some sort of yeah. made up pictures. Yeah. it's pretty pretty accurate. Okay, like it was. but it was uh, it was so tightly packed. So so at this point, would would you bring some records up to the torch to sell at the all nighters? I used to walk around with a little box every yeah. every time we went. I always yeah. had a box. Um, I think the the balcony at the torch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's where a lot of the wheeling are doing yeah, yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's some characters. I mean, I remember going to one night and there was a a fella, and he was sort of like wedged under some sort of bench near near the doorway. Um, I don't know what he'd been taking, but uh, (laughs) and then there was a night. uh, Was it uh, Frank Booper dived off the? Yes, Frank uh, dived off the balcony. Balcony, Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and I went into a spin. <laughs> 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 yeah, because. But it, it, it was full of characters, because yeah. now, now the torch had gone. The Friday nights, we'd seen the first of, of people coming in from, you know, different areas, but the all-nighters, they were coming from everywhere, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I mean, there was a little station down the road, and, and they'd never seen the like of it. Of course, they, they were still panicking what's going on, you know, every Saturday night, uh, the, the, the torch was on, the, the, this station was, like, overrun, <laughs> to get more staff to Deal with what was going on. And then people would walk from there all the way up to Tunstall, you know, to get in the torch. And uh, the queue would go around to the chip shop. You knew if you were around by the chip shop, you were about 45 minutes to an hour away from getting into the torch. Is that a Friday night session? Or Friday that? nights, yeah. Yeah. yeah and and yeah. then eventually on the all nighters, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean obviously. <laughs> It was, it was my local, so I mean, yeah, I did, I did go to a lot of the live art gigs, and particularly you know, Major Lance, the Stylistics, which was an incredible night. I mean, we, Keith and myself, were moaning and moaning at, um, at Christopher Booking the Stylistics, you know, and we thought, they, you know, there's just no connection between what we're doing and the Stylistics. And it turned out to be the busiest and one of the best nights ever at the torch, because they were so professional, just on a different level. And they just absolutely blew it away. And the women, of course, loved them. And, uh, you know, Russell with his vocals, Russell Tompkins, was just absolutely incredible. So, I mean, yeah, but I mean, prior to the All Nights, you got the same as everyone else. you got Gino Washington, you got Ines and Charlie Fox, Oscar Tony Jr., the same sort of routine coming around. And then, you know, what we were talking about earlier in the night, Steve, the music crossover with our Man Corner, with have Chicken Shack. I spent an hour talking to Christine Perfect at a Chicken Shack, record we went on to Fleetwood Mac, uh, John Mayles, Blues Busters, yeah. the Bandwagon. <laughs> they all kind of came around. It was a, it, it was an incredible time. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't think any of us, probably at the age we were, just appreciated uh, you know uh, the opportunities that, that, that were coming our way. So where where the shop was doing
2: well? I don't think the shop ever did particularly well, um, but I believe. We didn't. It sounds bad now, but it wasn't like a business. It it, it was fun. Fun, yeah. You know, uh, if we'd have treated it like a business, uh, who knows what what would have happened. Yeah. But it it just wasn't. okay, you you took a wage, but you you weren't. You couldn't invest in loads of stock or anything like that. You no. live from sort
1: of hand to mouth. Day to day and, yeah. and relying on the stuff you were finding and then and then the difficulties <laughs> when Graham it's not giving you record corner well, stock and stuff that, like that. Because, because new releases did become a part of it, didn't they, they particularly they, on the imports? They certainly did
2: and, and we relied on, 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 on pressings really. That was yeah. the mainstay of yeah. of the business because. Yeah, what else was, it? you could go... You so wh- wh- where would you buy them from, from Selected Disc, from... Selected Disc, mainly, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. and there's a, there's a story uh, to go with that um, before we finish tonight. There's a story about the uh, records we got from Selected Disc. Um, we, we weren't there for long before we, we went up to Manchester. Yeah. Um, but we had to do clothes as well to try and make the whole thing... Viable. Yeah, make it work, yeah. and um, I think Alan by now had split up with his missus. Was
1: that was that shop down towards where Ralph's used to be, Victoria Station end at Manchester? Was it, was it Market Street? Market Street, okay. I okay. think I think didn't a bomb go off there at some point? Yes, it and, did. Yeah, later on there. That's where the IRA uh, yeah, yeah. shot the bomb up. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Wh- uh, I don't know wh- what's there now,
2: but it was in Market Street, and um, I think there was a there was a, a downstairs bit to it. Which, which I don't know if it, if it was established, but this was on sort of uh, ground level. Yep. And um, Bev Bevan out of uh, the ELO, he had a, a record shop in there. Um, and we had ours in there, but we, we also had a clothes, little clothes things, and we sold jeans yep. and uh, the, um, this this was
1: not not exactly like the the oasis, but it was that kind of retail store, yeah. wasn't it? That underground and yeah. and and lots of stalls. So you you it gave you the opportunity to get through without being a hundred percent business minded. Well, I
2: think it was a bit posher than the one in Birmingham. To be fair, <laughs> it was a, ni- a nicer environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that one the one in Birmingham was a bit of a stinker, to be fair. So
1: yeah. what, what what about going out to soul nights in Manchester at that point? Aren't well, uh I mean obviously the wheel's gone. Didn't really we I know you went to the wheel earlier on.
2: Yeah, we we rented a house uh in Manchester and uh, we had all sorts of uh, all, all sorts of people camping in there and, and stuff. Um again it was it wasn't brilliant. But uh I I and of course we had uh, Dave Everson working for us. Yes, in uh, in the Manchester one, uh, and I tried to uh, to try and push to try and push some of the the other records that weren't pressings. Uh, I tried to get him uh, to do a spot at the Pendulum. Uh, I saw Richard there the one night um, and asked if we could do uh, a, an unpaid hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but but there's nobody. Basically, just the first. Um, P- pushing stuff, have you know, in the shop. Yeah. But to be honest, I don't know. I don't know where that went. I don't. I don't. I don't think anything came of it. But, what um, the pendulum? You no, know, Dave. Doing, oh, Dave. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: I can't record anything happening from that. Did you go to the pendulum? Uh, no, no. I was just just the one time I went there to to try and uh, to do, but no, no, didn't really do. I tried getting to Varvas one night and got lost. We all did. We all did.
1: <laughs> Too many mirrors. <laughs> and the Bolton One-Way system.
3: If you say you need a loving hand, <laughs> keep on talking. Two,
4: three, four, one. You told me that your love for me was not strong as it used to be, baby. Baby,
3: baby.
4: You told me the money I received
3: was nothing but just chicken feet. My money went by dog food, baby baby. Oh. baby You said I was just keeping you From having yourself so far
1: Remind you of course I'm back in the studio on Sunday 2 till 5 with the Jazz Dance Fusion show and don't forget my two double albums Jazz Dance Fusion volume 4 and Part 1 and Part 2 on uh, Joey Negro's Z uh, Records label. They're going to be out on March the 1st. And I'll be heavily promoting them on BBC 6 with Giles Peterson in Manchester on March the 9th. Um, as well as uh, spending some of that weekend up there in the northeast as well. Uh, with Mr Paul Connery and uh, the Tune Weekender. So, busy times. Uh, Dave Emerson worked for you. That's... Um, The first of those records that we played there became one of uh, Dave Everson's all-time favorite records. That was James Barnett, of course. And and I said to you off air, that was a record along with Pity My Feet. Definitely up the amount of plays, you know, because of the pressure <laughs> from fans and crowd uh, when they when they were coming to the torch. But uh, absolutely superb stuff. And then finishing up with the impressions earlier sounded like they've joined the Junior Walkers and the All Stars on that one. You you already been having fantastic music again right the way through. So um, where are we? We we're, we're in the catacombs. Um, you've you've been to the torch. Um, y- you're opening a shop in Manchester. Uh, you're moving records there as well. Um, so, are you travelling up to Manchester to do that every day? No, we uh, we rented a house up there, but
2: we did have to travel to uh, to London to uh, to get stock. Uh, so, uh, quite often we'd uh, we'd meet somebody at um, Keel Services uh, and and swap. You know, take, take stuff out of our car and put it in theirs, and they'd carry on up. Um, as I said, we had to close, so we'd, we'd come up, com- do a combination of uh, looking for cheesecloths uh, in the uh, <laughs> in that area of I can't what
1: the area was yeah. where they do all the. I can't tell you how popular cheesecloth were at one point, were yeah. they? Unbelievable, Absolutely. yeah, unbelievable. what that Blackpool mecca? Did you ventured up to there when Tony Jeb was there? Not when Tony Jebb was there. Um, again, it was a. We only went a few times. Mm-hmm. It, it was a long way. Long way to go again, but you know, back in those days, I mean, I mean, when, when the phase two was, of course, myself and Keith, yeah. um, which was after the torture closed, um, and then it was myself and Levine, um, and then the next major uh, thing that happened was the opening of Wigan Casino, which we, we both agreed that it wasn't a place that we frequented very often. No, it was you and uh, it was you and Ian. Me and Ian host, when yeah. you came, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, what? I mean, you mentioned Andy Handley. Andy uh, followed me in at uh, at Mecca as well. But I mean, did you feel Blackpool Mecca was 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 forming a change at that point, in musically?
2: Well, for me, the change came when, uh, when the when when the casters yeah. came about. Yeah, yeah. That that seemed to be the the uh, the catalyst. Yeah. Um, And, of course, it was a fantastic record. But I've always enjoyed mid-tempo stuff rather than
1: the... uh, yeah, the, the the fast stuff. Well, I mean, you you mentioned earlier on, though. I mean, you know, Bob Crocker playing you know, two, three, yeah. uh, then slowing things down a little bit, and, and and I like that. I like that sort of roller coaster presentation style, where where, where you bring in more in, and we definitely started to feature a lot more down tempo records at Blackpool and Costairs was a massive catalyst for that. Yeah. Yeah, I brought a few other things along which, uh
2: to play, um, which it, which sort of tells you the story about the mid tempo stuff. I mean, the, I'm so afraid. The Opals, for example, fantastic record. Nevertheless, yeah, uh, yeah. great, great record. Um, yeah, I, I prefer that sort of stuff. Um, I think sometimes the, the fast stuff, it, you've got to be um, under the influence, let's say,
1: to uh, enjoy some of those records. Yeah, 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 chemically motivated. Yes, that's chemically, the chemically motivated. motivated. Partic- particularly uh, uh, when you've got to stay awake all night, exactly, as well. yeah. <laughs> and keep up with that tempo. But certainly, um, there was a notable change for me from from the music that was played at the wheel, and then the music that was played at the torch before the all nighters, and then the music that was played during the all nighters for thirteen months. The adrenaline level. And the pace of the music just went right through the roof mm. because these were now all-nighters. You know, a much bigger crowd. The whole thing was just just swaying off the hook. Um, I, I don't know. Was that the same effect in, in, in the catacombs, or did, did they keep holding it together? No, no, as I say, I never went when uh, when, when Max
2: was uh, played there. So there's a lot of stuff that's uh, perhaps I, about my. In- my memories of the uh, the catacombs are very much the, uh, the sort of the up-tempo stuff. They're going right the way back down to the slow stuff. Yeah, yeah, that that cult roller coaster uh, effect with the music. Um, that that's how I remember, and and when I'm DJing myself, that's the way I try to, yeah. to play
1: the records. I give a lot of thought to what goes after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What follows and 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 and, and well particularly playing to a northern crowd now. I think uh, uh, average ages also comes into play as how many fast yeah, records you can play. Yeah, I, I mean, try, you're know, trying to dance to uh, some of that OK stuff nowadays is uh, a little bit more taxing. Yeah. Yeah. and uh, Graeme Juddy Judson, already been talking about is there. Um, Also, Suzanne Pacente and uh, some nice pictures going up here, Graeme. Thank you very much indeed for sticking those up. Uh, Craig Leach wishes he was around back at the time. A lot of people would wish they were around back at the time. Everybody got the long time. Um, But we were talking earlier on about the way way records get played and um, that, for instance, I can't get enough and then you would get Mamie Galore. It Ain't Necessary. Oh, so uh, just look the picture. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, got. Yeah, you've
2: got that's, the in the, uh, that's in the. That's in Gloria uh, Oasis. Oh, and mm-hmm.
1: the one above. The one above that's yeah. in Gloria Oasis yeah. as well. And and that, yeah. there's the advert. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Graham. Um, but, yeah, and 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 also. Walk Like a Man would be followed probably by The Sweet Things and Then I Worship Your Baby not because it's all on the same level it just seemed to fit um, and again changing the tempo slightly I mean it was very difficult I mean I think one of the slowest records that uh, we tried to play at the Torch was probably Johnny Copeland Supper in the okay, City yeah, you know, yeah. and fantastic record you know and, it, and it, like walking up a one-way street it, it got to be something to hold him if yeah. you were going to take it down that much but we're going to go on to mid-tempo in a minute but let's talk about Let's talk about some more uh, of the club, uh, other clubs that were going on around as well. I mean, so you, you, you're selling records in Manchester, you're renting a place up there, but also we've talked about a club off air, um, up the junction and yeah. crew. So you went there, and uh, DJing there was... Alan Day. Alan Day, yes. Yeah, yeah, Alan
2: Day. You got to know Alan quite well because uh, of his connection with the Select the Disc. Yes. And, um, and the... Uh, Dave Williams was a selected disc he came from Sutton yeah so uh, but yeah we, we used to go to selected disc uh, to pick up records on a Friday and um, either I'd go or Janet and Alan would go um, on, on, on the way from Wolverhampton up to uh, to Manchester and um, but uh, on a, several occasions when I've been there was always uh, something extra to uh to pick up if you were there at the right time, and uh, I managed to pick up uh, the Peregrines, yeah, uh, Thelma Lindsay, uh, Scott on Swingers, uh, Ronnie McNair, all uh, all there for about a pound, one pound 25. Wow, uh, whilst we were. Picking up our pressings. Which so which, free,
1: which Thelma Lindsay was at? I'll bet you more prepared to love, prepared you. To love you. Prepared to
2: love you. love yeah. you, yeah. I mean, they, they used to have their, when their shipments came over, there was there was a, lots of originals, yeah. which they were selling through their shop at yeah. sort of the, what would be the retail price. Yeah. Uh, about one, one, 125 Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Yeah. Uh, so picked up some great, great things. Uh, I hate, oh, I'm sure there was other stuff that uh, was there when I wasn't, I'm sure. Yeah. I know somebody <laughs> who had the aeroplane song. Wow. Um, But all that Detroit sort of stuff. Yep. So... uh
1: yeah. Of course, it? Selected disc. Uh, you know, by this time we're doing massive, massive deals and, you know, spending a lot of money to get records repressed. Officially, a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, it, it dwindled away <laughs> as time went on. But, I mean, John and, and everybody got involved in, in making sure that, I mean, the Carstairs were paid for by them, you know, the, the pink ones, uh, because that record was never going to come out. Um, no intention of releasing it. It hadn't been a success in the States. And when Ian Levine first heard it on WVLS Radio, tried to buy it on the way to, uh, the airport, making the taxi stop at any record shop that they found, uh, but of course he wouldn't have been able. To, it wouldn't have been in there because it was just just a demo. Really, and the demos uh, eventually turned up. Of course, the 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 first three copies, which myself, Levine, and I think Ian sold one, two in Dewhurst, and then somebody else got one as well. I think there was four in the end, but they came from John Anderson. Uh. Um, although Levine had actually. Telephoned me from the state to tell me he'd heard this record. Um, and he used to send me cassettes and letters on each trip of the stuff he was finding each day, all written on this like toilet paper, battle and Bond stuff, you know, in these hotels that his dad could afford to stay in. Um, and you know, flipping back to the Graham War story earlier on, I mean, that you know, Graham tipping off, um. Ian with with an address in Miami that he went to, and that was his biggest haul, the four thousand records. And of course, the story where they were flying from Miami back to where they were, and uh, his dad wanted to throw the records off the plane because the the, the pilot was saying it was all too heavy, and <laughs> eventually <laughs> they, they they threw something else off instead, and um, and got the records there. But yeah, I, I mean, all this, all this is you know very much a part of the tapestry, and uh, and. Uh, 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 you know, what what became this incredible northern soul scene that is still on Monday night I'm going to you know, a sellout gig in, in the New Vic Theatre where there'll just be live guys who are out of the studio the other week, uh, two vocalists that were on the proms. I mean, this thing's just exploded all these years later. I mean, but you were very much a part of the framework of this pointed together and the effort you put in and the music you shared must have influenced so, so many people, Steve. Well, i was. I was just thinking about what
2: you were saying there you literally had to get off your bottom Yes, you you, you couldn't just
1: there was no you know, internet you, 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 you know, if you're a millionaire now you can press the buttons if you've yeah. got plenty of money you can press the buttons and the records turn up in a day or two and or in America maybe, maybe almost a week but back in them days no you've got to go out I mean make it for out every day every day somewhere whether it, whether it was Hanley, whether it was you know, Manchester, whether it was Birmingham wherever it was you know um, you, you just got to go out and keep looking all the time, and as you say, we did, none of us had a lot of money. None of us, you know, but, but you just somehow <laughs> made it work, made it pay, and got some records in. And you ended up
2: buying stuff that uh, on spec as well. Yes, I mean yes. we went to America the one time. Uh, it, it was a family holiday, actually, so there was no intention of. So where are you? Are you New York or Detroit? Or? We, Chicago? No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we we we. we um, we flew to uh, to LA, and we was we were going to the the kids were little, so we were going to uh, to uh, Disney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, we decided to uh, it was a it was a three three center holiday it was LA, uh, Anaheim, um, Palm Springs, and San Diego. But uh, we took the opportunity Palm Springs. to trying to find records, there's nothing. Uh, we didn't find, oh, we found some in San Diego, but it was the trip from the drive. Instead of sticking to the motorway, we went cross-country, stopped off at a small um, just a, just shops either side of the main road. Uh, couldn't call it a town or such, but um, the kids had to have their uh, frozen yogurt, so we stopped, and it just so happened that there was uh, some records in the shop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right opposite where apart so uh, we went in there and uh, eventually I, the, the kids had gone and uh, there, there was nothing really to interest me on the on the sort of browser thing and I asked him if he'd got anything under the counter that was a bit special yeah. he says no, I've got, he says, I've got loads more upstairs uh, you can have a look if you want so I went up there and we got, uh, we got a nice demo of Tainted Love which was nice, very nice uh, thr- thriller moments, uh, Kim Weston, uh, three or four other yeah, yeah. decent records. Yeah, yeah. But we had about another forty, which were absolutely nothing dead. Yeah, yeah. But the interesting thing was, when he was flipping through them, he stopped at some Jerry Butler's and said. Ugh i to have to charge a bit more for these. <laughs> he got his uh, he got his his price guy there. He goes, well, that, that's like a dollar. Uh, that's, so uh, I said, yeah, that's all right. But the others were like just cents, picking up jelly butler in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> but those are the ones we have to pay a bit more money. Yeah, for. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it was was quite quite strange.
1: So no no specific American trips to go to warehouses and and do that side of it. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, so many people have been nowadays. But of course, I mean, John John Anderson was one one of the first ones, and I was very lucky uh, to spend so much time with John over the years and got on very well with him. You know, and uh, I remember somebody saying, you know, this this guy walks into Harlem, you know, and he goes looking for records in Harlem. I mean, nobody goes into Harlem. Even the taxi driver doesn't want to take you in. And uh, uh, I think the story came back that this, this, this uh, black guy had said to uh, uh, the guy who was asking that, he said, well, you know, the guy's six foot five, he's got an Afro style, and then when he talks, you can't understand what he says. Nobody's going to bother him. <laughs> <laughs> but John was always, and and I had many long conversations with him. Always reluctant to talk about, you know, uh, he was very defensive, but as as if he was giving out too much information about talking about where he'd been. But but I mean, he really did, you know, that classic line of one of the American suppliers saying, "No, I ain't got no soul records. Some Scottish guy took them all to Europe."
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I remember I'd, I'd breakfast with uh, with John at.
2: Um, at the, uh, the hotel in Cleethorpes, so we were both staying at, uh, And over breakfast, we were chatting, and he said, you know, going back to those lists, he says, uh, he said, I had the best uh, list uh, going at that time for an American,
1: and you had the best list going for English. Uh, well, I uh, think that, and, 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 and eventually, the irony with that, Steve, is that he became obsessed with collecting English songs. On yeah, yeah. well, was labels, so. American song, money. <laughs> Taking it down a little bit. 26 minutes after 10 you're with Colin Curtis on Hitmix Radio 107.5 FM. Just about an everywhere massive tune there. From, uh, but before that, we just played three more uh, down-tempo tracks. One of your favourite records the Barbara Lynn, You're Losing Me. We played Nevertheless, Billy Butler. Um, so talk to me a little bit about... I mean, through this conversation, um, you know, when we have talked about when, when you were looking for records at FL Moore uh, and, and generally when DJing, you weren't necessarily... In fact, you were almost not... Looking for the obvious or the big record. you were looking for something different and, and looking for some uh, different tempos as well. Well, yeah, as I say, we used to
2: just pick up anything, uh, uh, anything and everything because we didn't know what we were looking for. So it was a nice surprise when we found some some nice records. Uh, and I just I just stuck them, stuck them on the, in the in the well, I lose in the uh, wardrobe at home, just put them in there and and just played into ourselves. Yeah. Because they weren't, well, you know, as I mentioned, like, across my heart, you know, uh, Tamika Jones, just, just just nice things. Yeah. Uh, but the but it, going back to the catacombs, this is where Bob Crocker was in his elements, I think. He, you know, you'd play, you're losing me. You'd play, make me yours. Yeah. You'd put nevertheless on, uh, just to change
1: that tempo. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was but, just but, no, as well, that those records you know, deserve to be played and deserve to be heard by everybody. And uh, you know, but again, takes some balls. But I think again, you, you just hadn't got the
2: the the amount of records. I mean, there was certain labels were being picked up on. Like, okay, so there was one or two good okay records. So if you're looking for records, get okay. Yeah, say yeah. Merwood. Yeah, yeah. Y- you know, certain labels. Rictics, perfect example. Yeah, one or two decent rictics.
1: Obviously, one or two rare ones, but... And know. then you got your Columbia's, your Dates, you've got yeah. labels to chase. And, of course, um, from 68 onwards, you've got the British labels, you've got J-Boy, you've got President, you know, a lot of records were coming out. And... Uh, going right back uh, to earlier on the show when we talk about the discotheque series, but I mean, major labels like Stateside, uh, you know, we're knocking out some incredible stuff, and, and you know, Columbia, again. Uh, was EMI, EMI unstable, yeah, wasn't it? yeah, yeah, did the yeah, very much so, and all pressed, <laughs> as we've said, pressed at, at higher quality than American yeah. Records, and, and sound quality was actually better, and the, you know, the labels certainly um, you, well, it impacted you for sure. <laughs> well, yeah and for John Anderson to say that, yeah, you know, I mean that that's, that's a major statement to say that he he, he became the import man and you you a British man. For me, and I said to you when you first arrived tonight. I mean, that's there's that, that a memory for me that you you were the guy to go to if anybody wanted British records. Yeah.
2: Well, I got a story about some some uh, a British record which will probably come on uh, to before I well, would certainly before the end of the night. um Perhaps one of the biggest um, perhaps one of the biggest English records that uh, was on the scene and of course that's uh, father's angels yes
1: uh, yeah, we will I mean, play that and we'll talk about that because yeah. I mean, that that impacts a lot of a lot of areas but yeah. what, what what about yourself I mean what so you, you've now been doing this from probably you know the late 60s into we, we, we're now up to sort of 72 73 and so at that time, what what would you say were your biggest influences? Where, where where would be your place to go if there was only one place to go? Where would you go at that time? Would it be the catacombs?
2: It would have been, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That that was definitely the biggest influence, uh,
2: probably because the, you could access the DJ. I mean, everywhere else the DJ was untouchable. He was up on a stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you couldn't really see what the records were. Um, Yeah, they can be quite crowded, can't they? The DJ decks. If there's if there's there's only one person trying to get your attention, you can't play the records. No, that's right. Uh, That's right. It annoys me now. You know, when people
1: come up to start talking to me, and and I'm I'm, I'm like, "Well, you're actually doing the job." I mean, if you turn up at their office on Monday morning and sit on their desk and see if they can still do the job, yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. But I I, I mean, I've seen, I've I've seen, I've, I've.
2: Witness where there's two or three people, and uh r- oh, buzzing round. I mean, I took a, a record to the, what, the one and only time I went to, well, one of the only few times I went to Wigan. I lost a record up there. I don't know what, I don't know where it went. What DJ ended up with it, but it was the instrumental of Billy Harner. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't know what happened to that. But I was trying to get one of the DJs to play it, and it was, you know, I'll play that, and then. Well, and disappears
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, so I, I, I had that attack in in, in, in in up the junction and then my, my purple A's disappeared yeah, yeah it was it's, <laughs> it's like, it's like sleight of
2: hand <laughs> It's I mean I've, I've had records disappear from, from the house uh, the one and only I, I, the, the stuff was in the loft I had a the loft converted and uh, I happened to leave the fella up there for a couple of minutes while I just popped downstairs uh, he came on the pretense to borrow a record, which I was quite happy to let him borrow, yeah. But uh, over the years, I've noticed, uh, I'm sure I had that record once, and I've had to replace, I had to replace Rufus Lumley, because that was one that went. Right. Um, But there's other records that I've, I've struggled to find now, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, no one's going to walk
1: off with one minute and walk off. No, no, that's right. That's, so, I think I think unfortunately most collectors have probably had that too. Sometimes yeah. it's not very, not very nice. There's leaves, it leaves a, a poor taste, but um... when's somebody you know as well? You no, know, well yeah, that makes, yeah, it, that worse, makes yeah. it worse. Yeah, it does make it worse. Yeah, without a doubt. So um, building up back again, and uh, so what happened to the shops? Uh, The shops failed. Okay. Um, the
2: the the Manchester one was uh, just uh, looks like a bridge too far. Yes. It was just so we we got rid of the uh, the clothes part first,
1: um, but it was just unsustainable. And, and in Manchester, who, who was which DJs were coming? Did Les Kakel ever come to the shop? Well, I, I I wasn't there that often. No, um, we had uh,
2: Pete Johnson was the uh, was a fella looking after it. Okay. So I, I don't know, is the honest just, answer, yeah, okay. yeah, who, yeah. who came to that shop. Yeah. Um, I was out and about looking for records. As I say, we used to go to, uh, to uh, Telford, soul yeah, um, to look for stuff. There was down to London to get clothes. Alan's uh, wife, uh, that he was separated from, she was with a, a fella from uh, Carmen Gear, Jeans. Right. So... Alan wanted to sell Carmen gear. Yeah. I yeah, think yeah. just so he could <laughs> get, stay stay in touch with his wife. So there was a lot of driving around getting stuff. Although I, I know in Birmingham, uh
1: Nev Werry used to come down. Yeah, yeah, I knew, yeah. I, but yeah. the last time I saw Nev, of course, was, was, was when I sold my 70s stuff to uh, John Manship. I went down to Melton Mowbray, and, and John, of course, was in the pub. <laughs> so I spent a bit of an hour with Nev that day. But, yeah, very sad. I mean, nice guy, Nev. Well, was he used, he used yeah. to come with his mum. Sorry? He
2: used to come with his mum. Did he? Yeah. Wow. Um, and then, of course, we had, we've had had guests on, on your show. Uh, Eddie, Eddie Hubbard used to yeah. come up. Yeah, Eddie Hubbard, and, um, Motown John is what we used to call him. No. <laughs> John <laughs> Uh Motown John. Uh, 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 I mean, I was talking to uh, uh, there's the girl. Come, we bumped into DJing at the Cats. She used to apparently she used to come in the shop. Uh, I'll think of the name in a minute. Uh, yeah, there's a few people used to come in regular. I mean, when Jody was there, he had the uh, the real thing in.
1: Yeah, it, it, uh, yeah. A real thing is Sweet Sensation, yeah, you, yeah. You, you, you'd get them in Manchester, I mean uh, 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 at one time I was asked to, to do some stuff with Sweet Sensation, but no, not for me, not uh, for me but I mean, yeah, they're, they're popular bands I mean, that was a, I remember in fact, the real thing, uh, you to me and everything, I remember uh, it was a Manchester DJ coming down to the place in Hanley, and uh, when that record came out, and he, he he came in, Ugly Ray Territ it was and he, one of, uh, Mr. <laughs> and he played that record uh, for three hours. Every other record, every whole night. <laughs> but the, you know, that's the way it was back in those days. <laughs> I was going to say even uh,
2: even the Jonas Brothers, if, if, if there's a a, a a new big sound, yeah. it would
1: get played more three than three or once. four times. Mate. Yeah, uh, d- d- that was the, that was a situation. I mean, at here I go well. again. Ah, Chabell was. I can remember that was yep. really. Play that yeah right. here I go against slice yeah. tomatoes I mean certain records would would definitely get more than one um you know Alan day I mean uh you know, I'm mean, the pick of the all nighters. First two all nighters was just me and Keith, we got 10 quid each. And then, um, because so many people were traveling, obviously they were talking to Chris, and uh, it was suggested, uh, four to five names were suggested. And in the end, we we picked on Alan and we picked on Martin Ellis because Martin was great on the mic, yeah. he had he had a, a, a box of records that mostly weren't his, but, but but you know, he got a great presentation, and he was a great character, and I had, I had some good times with Martin. Um, but you know, right through that period, I mean. D- yeah i mean alan alan took it upon himself to make slow you know the biggest record in the torch at one point so we'd hear that regularly (laughs) all night long you know not just my alan everybody want to play it because it had become that popular and yes i mean mean, nowadays uh, it's a completely different approach isn't it but nowadays the playlist is so much bigger, Steve, isn't it? And, and and a lot of records that weren't acceptable then are acceptable yeah. now. And, you know, it's, it's changed dramatically. And what about DJing nowadays? I mean, where, where do you DJ nowadays? Well, I've done um, Stables yeah, Wolverhampton.
2: Done that a few times, Darlaston. Uh, but to be, to be fair, um, I, I don't mind doing them, but I prefer to do small places. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 difficult to to keep a dance floor happy and um i I'm, I'm quite particular uh, about what i play uh, it, like i won't play a record if i don't like it yeah so if the if you don't like my taste
1: that you're hardly like to get up and dance <laughs> so <laughs> so, uh, I think I think to be fair, I think you you know I could probably name four to five DJs who've said, who've said similar things. People who've grown up in our era, if you will, have uh, gone through those clubs. That you're DJing now is is a different animal. It is a completely different animal. Whereas you know I I would you know the crowd where you played Torch-type records you know the crowd where you can play macintosh yeah. records and, and but now you, you don't know what's, you you don't know where it could go and, and holding a crowd is is uh, definitely a lot more difficult <laughs> Well, one minute past eleven, so we've done three hours. We've got one hour to go. The history uh, being told tonight by uh, the music and the stories of the man himself, Mr. Steve Glover. And, uh, well, let's let's start with that one and go backwards over the last four or five that we've played. But that's uh, back-to-back Father's Angels and uh, origins and where played and who played it. Right. I bought that
2: at the torch and I paid five quid for it and I'd never heard it. And uh, the two lads that uh, introduced it to me, Dave Hall and Dave Stubbs, from Manchester, and they used to spend their Saturdays going around the, the shops, yeah, yeah, looking for for records. Um, it, if they told me it was good, I believed them. You trusted him, yeah, yeah, I trusted him, and So I bought it off him. Um It's not a personal favourite of mine, but uh, there was some. It's got some legs, I thought. Uh, so I. Gave it to Alan Day because um, they to lend a few records to Alan Day to play at the Junction, so that's where I believe it first got played. And if you like it, it's down to me. If you don't like it, <laughs> I say nothing. <laughs> but it's uh, I I don't play it when I whenever I'm
1: out. I don't play it. No, it's, it's not my. Stoil. no it, it was it, it was one of them of, of the moment really i mean i mean you know people can look back now you know like that and slice tomatoes i mean these records i can't tell you the impact they had you know at the peak of the torch all nighters was just unbelievable so people are taking taking away the memories but in terms of you know, what we talk about now and the way we've all progressed. I mean, uh, soulful-wise, no. no. But but this happens, anomalies happen, don't they? But we go back now to some of the other records we played there, Surprise Party for Baby, and and tell us about Moondogs, because I know Mick Smith was was a big uh, finder, along with Dave Burton, who used to use Moondogs a lot, which is one of the sort of cult record shops in London, or or market, it was a market stall originally, wasn't it? I don't know, we only went to the... uh to
2: the shop, I think it was in East Ham, I think, East Ham High Street, was it? Yeah. Um, But when we used to do our our trips to London, um, we'd we'd tend to go one way back or the other, if it was that way, back the East Ham way, um, we'd go to Moondogs, uh, usually to buy, because I did a bit of wholesale stuff, and on the particular day that we found those records, we'd gone to buy uh, Countdown. The tempos and the young hearts, which they were wholesaling, so we, we we got those and we were just thumbing through some other stuff that was you could thumb through it on the sort of counter. Um, and we bought um, surprise party for baby because it's the vibrations, we bought cuz you're mine because it was the vibrations. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why we bought Roy Handy unless uh, I, I recognize the label as Shirley J. Scott, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'll probably sort of recognize that and thought well, that's. So we bought them blind, realised they were good records, uh, dance good dance records. So again, because I was uh, pally with Alan Day, took them straight to the uh, junction, uh, and they, he played all three uh, that night. He'd never heard them before. Uh, they certainly hadn't been played, as far as we know, at any all as before. So uh, that was a first for that. Uh-huh. Uh, I think... Because your mind, well, because your mind would have been available on an LP. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, Yeah. But how many people would have... I mean,
1: I know people used to play LP tracks occasionally. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, tell me it was just a rumor I got played off an LP later. Yeah. But I mean, um, at the torch, it was it, it was it, it, there was an Emmy disc played of it as well. You know, it had been burned probably off off the album yeah. um, track. Um, but oh, yeah, over over a period of time, there was definitely uh, you know, records that fell into that category. Um, but those those records and and. You know, we, we're talking about a period of time when when records were being pressed weekly, weren't they? Yeah. I mean, that was the popularity. We weren't talking about a couple of hundred. We're talking about a thousand press on some of those records. Uh, you know, because the demand was just phenomenal. You know, compared with the early days of, of, of bootlegging with, with Soul Sounds, which ended up doing about 30 records over a period of time, um, they were being pressed up around the three to 500 mark. But by now, by Selected this time, because Selected this could then wholesale into other shops. So this is pushing it all around the country. So upside and downside is that that this allowed access and allowed the scene to grow. Um, You know, whether the right people got paid or not, um, that's another story. And and, and also that's another story with the artists and the real record companies anyway. Of
2: course, that's what we were saying off air. Records might have only been played once, twice. Over a two week, three week, or a month before, there was more records.
1: That's that right. Time. Turnover was phenomenal. Yeah. Turnover was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I mean, when when you look back historically now, I mean, I'm, I'm you know I'm in the middle of writing a book myself, and you know when you've got that period with the Twisted Wheel, and you've got the period with, the, as you say, Catacombs, the Torch, um, then you've got the Wigan Casino, you've got Blackpool Mecca, um, and then since then, there's been this whole new Breed from Stafford onwards with Butch and people like that, you know, and lots of records that might have been in your cupboard, you know, records that have accumulated either through soul packs or because you like them, that that you know, now get featured as well as uh, you know. But then this second wave, if you if you like, or third wave, whichever you want to call it, has gone out there to the states and and you know, out have come you know hundreds of other records that are championed by people like soul sound people like butch and you know lots of others nowadays we got your ted masses and you know uh, all pushing mick h you know lots of records that were never played back in the day some of which we had or we had the option to have um but yeah i mean it, a phenomenal period that, that we're talking about where records were being pressed weekly and and um you, know, you 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 stop putting the names of the records in your adverts because people were ready to you know to go straight onto it thinking yep, there's another one let's get that pressed up. Well, I
2: uh, I used to collect as when I mentioned earlier about collecting stamps, I used to collect record labels. So if I was if I found one or two records on a label, I'd try and get the rest. So uh, things like Port was a, a yeah. good example. Yeah. Great great label. Uh, uh, Carol Fran, had it on the shelf for probably fifty years because it's only recently, well, probably the last ten years or so, it, it, it was getting played. Yeah. Whereas yeah. you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have touched that. No, no, that's right. Thirty years. That's ago. right. That's right. Um, you would probably play the G's or or um, the Cathy and the or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. But to Carol Fran, you wouldn't get looking. No. No. Uh, so the definitely the the trend is. Has changed. I remember getting rid of uh, Ray Agee yes. uh, on Salt on Salt Town. Uh, it just didn't just didn't register at my radar as a record I wanted to keep. Yeah, uh, yeah. and look look at the money it
1: fetches there. <laughs> A combination of rarity, a combination of, of uh, different tastes, and and, and also, uh, uh, you know, so, sometimes you know dance floors are dictated there by the age of the people in the room, and, and you know, noticing that uh, I said to you earlier on, noticing that at Blackpool Tower where extra seating that creeps onto the dance floor now for the older crowd, yeah. but they're still part of it. It's still you know, and, and you know, without this. <laughs> Without all, all all the effort and, and time that's put in, I, I I nearly called it work. Then I, I mean, to neither you and me, this has never been work. This is a passion that is you know unexplainable, really. Mm-hmm. And why this passion was so dominant in the UK and, and what's happened in the UK is affecting everywhere in the world, eventually affecting America and then they restart collecting and, and, and looking at all this stuff so phenomenal story, we're now moving it on another notch with some different records that involve some different names and we'll talk to you about these in a minute, 9 minutes after 11, you're calling Colin Curtis and Steve Glover on Hitmix Radio Sometimes, he, he, you could see he, he thought yeah you know, that was quite expensive at the time and the Tamangos was the third record we played there. But um, tell us what your connection is with those records. I
2: just uh, call them the the, uh, the holy trinity of uh, collected imports. Uh, I think just three are, they're the best, and uh, I rate them
1: as in the top ten. Yeah. I felt, felt spoilt at the time, because I mean, you know, obviously high up the in order with John Anderson, but I mean, the the records I was getting, I mean, Bernie Williams is another one, you know, that came in the similar, it used to get there, there'd be some piles, it'd be like three quid, four quid, five quid, and then there'd be ones that it would wait until see what your reaction was, so you had to dumb it down. It was almost like a game of poker to keep the price down as much as you could. But once we'd gone through the pile side of it, then uh, Levine, who would produce this uh, £1,000 cash that he specially got from the bank, or from his dad's casino, whichever it was, and then he was allowed to go in this other, and and pull off these records at at about 50 pence a time. Uh, And so you know, what you were talking about, the way you accumulate records and the ones that go in the cupboard, these were the ones in the cupboard, you know, and and Levine was like yourself, he, he, he photographic memory, so, you know, he was flicking through, and so they went in, in the, you know, Eddie Foster came out of one of them boxes I never knew, and stuff like that, so it was, it, it, it was a little bit, I mean, Levine was using probably the same rules as you, that labels, Uh, Artists, arrangers, producers, whatever it was, writers—you know, know, yeah—in with a chance, in with a chance. So they went in there, Um, and that kind of balanced out any any monies that you'd paid, uh, John, at the top end. But I have to say, I mean, as I say, I bought all those records. Then three records for about twelve quid back in the day, and uh, I agree with you. I mean, that was just a golden period. It was. It wasn't the wheel anymore. It wasn't the torch anymore. It was, it was a completely different sound, but it was totally, totally authentic to Northern. And like, people like yourself, who've already got the taste and are a tastemaker anyway, those records, it doesn't get any better, than it? It does not get any better than that. Now, well,
2: people always just associate me with the, with the English records, uh, but all the time, you know, if there was a, a record I liked, I mean I wouldn't just buy it for the sake of it because I wasn't a DJ yeah. but if I liked the record uh, and those were the, my top three favourite records so I had to have them yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't remember I remember where I got the Salvadors from and that was uh, Tony Parker yeah. but um, the other two I just cannot remember I certainly bought them off somebody I didn't find them yeah. so, uh, but the condition wise none of them are, are, are brilliant Uh, So,
1: I don't think I'd have paid that much for them. But, but, but even back then, I mean, I, I remember George Blackwell changing hands for sort of fifteen quid, uh, twelve quid. But I mean, those were still quite high prices back at, back at that point. Uh, Salvador's, yeah. I mean, I've I mean, just said to you off air. I remember Keith and Julian Bentley, five or six copies of the Salvador's came out of Bradford Market, you know, which really was against the trend there because most of the stuff that came out of there was a lot older. It was it was the Burt stuff, it was the MGM stuff, um, but you know without a doubt um unbelievable records unbelievable records um you know and the bernie williams my world is on fire and you know these are records that john had this golden period and i was lucky enough to be you know one of the first uh, guys to get them in my hand and get them, get to play them and we're now going to carry on with the mecca but we we're, we're I know not necessarily Mecca connections for you, but, I mean, you've already mentioned Andy Hanley, but Mecca became a place, it was fashionable. It reminded me of, 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 of Birmingham. Birmingham was always fashionable. And and later on, when Graham Ward did Chaplains, I mean, there was a different fashion again. And, you are know, my first sight that, there was something else going on with jazz dance happened at Birmingham in Chaplains when I saw the way these guys were dancing and the music they were dancing to. Graham, Graham was a little bit of a pioneer. I mean, he'd come through the northern thing, he'd got the taste, but he, 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 he knew good music, even if it wasn't in... any specified genre and and, uh, he played those 11, 12 minute disco records, but the reason he played them is because of the massive instrumental breaks that the dancers would then react to, I just saw something down there, as well as sitting, talking to some of the cast of uh, Crossroads Used to go into uh, Chapman's on a Monday, yes, and Jim Baines as well, the mechanic. I've got a picture of a Jim Baines. <laughs> John Fordham, I think he was. I him, um, that was that was a place to uh, for them to on, on the way home from work, apparently, to get a drink. Um, but anyway. We're still very much in that Mecca tilt. I mean, you touched on earlier on going up to Salem here in Cool Off for the first time when Andy Henley played it there. Um, i was just tell you, I mean, being played it at the Mecca and I went round and got one off Brian Phillips uh, the same week. And then uh, Diane Jenkins along with Way Zone they became two of the biggest records at Blackpool Mecca. I mean, w- w- was any of this stuff being played in the Midlands at that time, this, this type of stuff? Well, we weren't going out, so
2: we were introduced. So after after things that turned up in the shop, we'd never heard. Yeah, as we were going out. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: So we'd order pressings. Uh, Jody would tell us about a lot of the records. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was in the know. Yes. So if he said that, you know, get some of them, get some of them, get some of them. But to, we, I'd never heard uh, uh, Diane Jenkins until we went to the Mecca.
1: Yeah no I didn't we were... was it, I mean but the, we were finished off with the, with the catalyst uh, for, for, for the change and that was of course the car stairs yes. I, I mean on the back of that we were playing things like Shake and Bump Ladies Choice yes. you know I mean records and, and it, was, it was a different vibe in there it had become a different vibe Blackpool had become a different vibe completely and so Diane Jenkins Toeway Zone and, 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 and off and Mighty Lover I mean they just became absolute fodder so Leroy Hudson came into the picture with Eloise yes. and you, it occurred to stuff, yeah. Gene Chandler on Curtin yeah. you know, I mean, and it, yeah it, it changed the game and, and, and as that period went on as 74 went on, the new releases just got better and better from the States so, it, you know, they were being included in the night as well, so. But
2: it got that split and then hadn't you? people were talking yes. about the Wigan yes. and, and, and the Mecca too, diff- two completely different scenes Yes, yes and uh, I mean, I, I, I hated Wigan. The only thing I think came good out of Wigan was you could, you could get a lot of good records there, uh, but but you know, it wasn't for us. We just couldn't stand it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know uh, when Eddie was, when I've been
1: talking to Eddie. Came across some great records there, Eddie did. Yeah. yeah, no, Eddie's Eddie was you know a big um, Eddie never came uh, well. He may have come to Blackpool Mecca once or twice, but I mean, he, he yeah, his main uh, port of call was, was Wigan, and for a lot of people as well. I mean, guests on the show like Tim Ashibendi and, and you know. Definitely. Uh, and, and a lot of records. I mean, Keith Mitchell who, who continued his crusade uh, you know, right throughout his life. I mean, he, he enjoyed himself up on the balcony selling records, you know, talking about records all the time. I, th- I think the the clientele upstairs were, were very knowledgeable. I think, you know, I mean, in Pete Lawson and people like that, you know, knew at the a Mecca. lot more. The balcony at the Mecca. Sorry? The balcony at the Mecca no the balcony at, at wigan oh, yeah oh, yeah okay. uh no me- mecca i mean we had francis t from kiddie he used to come up and sell records i mean he particularly came into his own with the new releases because to me he was able to to grab some of the slightly left field stuff as well so you know he'd have copies maybe of uh, you better keep uh, marvin holmes and stuff like that i mean originally they came out of john anderson I thought uh, and, nailed, and also nailed, with nailed, neil rushton neil nailed, rushton with the single yeah. yeah john anderson with the album and, yeah. But it was, um, yeah, it was just an unbelievable period, and, and we were lucky at Blackpool to have someone with Neil's foresight because you know, he opened the door at the Ritz for that yeah. exactly that battle that you're talking about inverted commas between yeah. Northern Soul and and the new music, and uh, there was, it, yeah, it was definitely definitely a split, um, but for me, it, it was just a more great. More great soul music, you know, in a different guise. I mean, the last record I championed on uh, the northern scene, and that was, he always pushed me to play. It was uh, Kingy he used to bring the coaches up from Wolverhampton. Um, and that was uh, Herbert Hunter, yeah. uh, I Was Born to Love You, which was the last, probably the last big northern record that I, I bought of John Anderson. Um, but I, I was just swamped with with new releases swamped with great new music and, and didn't feel the need to sort of go backwards and then with the last hour developing I got into playing album tracks uh, whether it was on Sexton whether it was uh, you know the new stuff on Fantasy I Need Your Girl three pieces some fantastic soul music that I was able to play because it was changing you know and people were becoming more aware of, of the different tempos in a In a different way, but in the same way that you're talking about Bob Crocker and yourself. Yeah, didn't didn't Wigan sort of uh, shoot itself in the foot by sort of playing a lot of pop records? I I I think I think a lot of pressure came on on Wigan because you know when we first arrived tonight, talking about you know playing in a a huge hall with that necessity if you will to play more up tempo more on the fours more banging music uh, and I think I think another thing that we you know although, you know it was very successful um, I mean I was there the first night there at mr m's so then you've got the oldies then you've got somewhere that people can go and feel comfortable so if you make a mistake in the big room, you're going to lose 20 people. They're not coming back for half an hour or possibly more. So I think some momentum was lost there as well as as uh, your difficulties. And, and and numbers did did, did have a, a dwindle at Wigan as well. I did different you know, than eight attempts to to have last night at Wigan. But no, it wasn't for me. But it it was for probably the majority of people at that time without a doubt. I mean my old night who will always be the torch. That was you know that was just exciting. It was it was fantastic but um, you know for a lot of people it, it's Wigan and you we know, are uh, to- I mean Timothy Tim Bandy has been around the block you know and he's been up to America he's met the artist he's done all the trips and uh, you know he, he was he definitely was a, a Wigan boy who, who learnt about more about the Mecca from coming to Tiffany's and listening to us on a Sunday night than, yeah, you know. I mean, at one point in Tiffany's, uh, uh, we've got myself, Sam and uh, Pep. So you've got Catacombs, Blackpool Mecca and then wherever Sam was, <laughs> was yeah. at at the time. So you, all this was happening on a Sunday night and we were rammed every, every Sunday.
2: The, uh, when I said that Wigan and shooting himself in the foot uh, and, and saying that we didn't know half the records that were turned up as pressings I mean literally when uh, My Art Symphony turned up on a pressing yeah. we just couldn't believe it <laughs> we thought you know <laughs> if this is what Wigan's all about <laughs> and, and, and you saw that as a comparison with the Mecca you yeah, know with stuff like um, Diane Jenkins and and cash in, and all that sort of stuff. It was. I'm saying nothing. But it was
1: and um, that leaves have just chance to squeeze one more record in before we go, but uh, Steve let's quickly go through those, I mean, you had a period where you weren't going out anymore, family had come into play, and then uh, the first record to get you out of that was this one that we played, uh, uh, Standing at the Standstill, or well, Standing at the Standstill, Sherlock Holmes, how did that come about? Yeah, well we'd, uh,
2: we'd we'd got rid of the shops, I think Russell and Stanley had the one in Manchester, uh, we, we kept the one going in Birmingham for a bit till eventually it was just, uh, we just couldn't hang on to that. So uh, come, come 1980, uh, we, were, we were bought a house. We needed to pay the mortgage. So we just didn't go out, didn't buy any records, didn't do anything uh, until we had our first child. Uh, and it was uh, bath night. Uh, I used to get a few records out to play while Janet was. Bathing, our daughter, and uh, I sort of got the each. Uh, but of course, they were all old records, and 10 years had gone by. So I decided to go and buy the Northern Soul Story. I bought all, all 14 LPs wow. in one go. <laughs> I think it was 10 quid each from HMV. And I started playing through them, and that Sherlock Holmes was in one of the first standout tracks. And I thought, I can afford to spend a bit of money now on. Records. It, it's, that's where I started sending away for lists.
1: Pat Brady. So what was uh, this? Uh about eighty one. Eighty yeah. one yeah. And and then all the northern thing had dipped, I mean there's no doubt it dipped, you know, for the late seventies and then we're gonna have gone away and uh, there was there was a dip in when when you think how many people were attending that how many gigs you know, prior to that. And then you moved on with the Monticello's I can't wait until does that fall into that same category, was that No, that that I started buying the records, so that, that, and then I started getting the list of the
2: South Pat Brady and uh, Anglo and, and John, John Anderson, um, and I started buying the, uh, the the fanzines, and I never usually read write-ups or anything like that, but um, I started using internet as well, to the uh, you know YouTube and stuff. Came across the Monticello's and I thought this is the best version I've heard of that record. Yeah, yeah, yeah I had to yeah, buy it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now it features quite a lot when I'm do, when I'm playing out. Same with the
1: Delettes. The Dillettes, uh, what's he use, yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that on, on Blue Rock Records. I mean, yeah. I, I came across them via Woolworths. Well, <laughs> Blue, Blue Blue Rock was
2: a, a, a label I was collecting, I just hadn't managed to get that. So uh, that's quite a recent a- acquisition, actually. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, one of your all-time favourites. All-time favourite. I have faith in your baby. Yeah, in star, different level. In star, absolutely brilliant record.
1: Contribution to Northern Soul, almost second and on, and particularly, he ends up. Um, Buried in in the UK, lived in the UK, loved it here, and uh, got more adulation here than in the States. Yeah. I mean, he was a regular for us at all days, and you know, just him, Junior Walker. I mean, just a fantastic time. And uh, you've given us a fantastic time tonight. Fantastic stories. Your contribution to Northern is absolutely concrete, mate. And. Uh, Very proud of you. Very proud to have the time to uh, to speak to you tonight. It's been a pleasure, Colin. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. This will go live on either late Sunday night or early Monday morning. Everyone listen again. Anyone who wants to listen again. I know a lot of people are out tonight, so there will be a big listen again. But Steve Lover, thanks very much for making it. And uh, all the best for future. Thank you, Colin.
5: i uh-huh.